Our sermon text this morning comes from Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4, and I've entitled it, Know the Gospel, Live the Gospel. Now, I would say that almost everyone in here probably really enjoys Christmas morning. As we get up, we go down to where the Christmas tree is, and there's all these beautifully wrapped presents. And on some of those presents, your name is going to be on one of those, or maybe more. And so it's important then that we actually look and we identify which presents are ours, and then we say, ah, oh, there's my name. There's Brian on, the, on this beautiful present, but I still don't know what's in it. I have to actually unwrap that present in order to identify what's in there. And uh, so it's the same thing with what Christ does for us. The most beautiful present that any of us receive, and all Christians receive this, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it's like this beautiful present that's under the tree. But we've got to see our name on it, we've got to unwrap it, and then we have to identify what that gift is. We've got to know that. And so that's what happens as we unwrap that, we get blessed. There's a blessing. We begin to see and understand more and more of what the gospel is. We need to know the gospel, claim it as, as our own, and then live the gospel in order for it to bless us. And so when we know and we live the gospel, this amazing blessing that takes place, it means that we become overcomers. Do you think of yourself as an overcomer this morning? You're an overcomer. We're going to see in how this is unpacked here in the, in the scriptures this morning. You are an overcomer. But we don't always feel like overcomers because we're so aware, at least most of us, that we do have a sin nature. It's how we were born into this world. And we see the effects of sin every day in the world and in us. So we see that there are pandemics out there. We've just experienced that over the last couple of years. We see wars and rumors of wars. We see hurricanes, floods, and natural disasters. There are high divorce rates in this country, murders, more than we can count, it seems like. There's libel and slander, hate and vanity and pride and all kinds of lusts. It can almost feel depressing, can it? Almost overwhelming, but... We're overcomers in the midst of this. This is what the Bible tells us. And of course, there's death. And that's the final thing that has to be overcome. And so Jesus came into this world to overcome all of these different things that I've listed and everything else that's got to do with the sin nature that we have and we see in others. And so that's the good news. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's what he said so himself in John 16, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world, overcome the sin, the effects of sin in the world. So we praise God. We come to worship Jesus this morning because he has overcome these things. These things that feel too big for us at times, overwhelming, pressing, discouraging, and yet he's overcome the world. And so we need to take heart when we start feeling down. We need to be encouraged by the fact that we're overcomers. And it's because he has overcome the world, 
not us. He, he has done that by his grace. And that's why Paul's thinking was always focused on the gospel. We see this in chapter 1, as he wrote in verses 3 through 6. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In verse 12, he wrote, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So in all the circumstances that Paul had experienced, he's always looking for how the gospel is being advanced. He's always thinking about the gospel. And then verse 27, he wrote, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. How you're living out your life, or you're living in a way that's worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that I may hear you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And of course, that's to the whole church. That's a corporate idea. It's not just an individual, me and God idea. It's how are we living together and demonstrating this. And so Jesus is the overcomer. There is no other overcomer except Christ. And Paul wants us to know the gospel so that we can live the gospel. You can't live the gospel unless you know the gospel first. We are overcomers. We are not victims. Anytime you start thinking like you're a victim, that's a lie straight from the pit of hell. You're an overcomer. By the grace of God, every day, you're an overcomer. And so we're to know the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we can live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to look at in more detail here in the sermon this morning. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, uh, so often you give us words that uh, we are challenged in obeying. And so we look to you afresh this morning that you would open our hearts, that you would show us that we are truly overcomers. Uh, we pray that for the grace and mercy of your son, Jesus Christ, that we would grow more and more in his likeness. And we pray now that you would cause us to go out of this place this morning rejoicing and praising you, Lord, for the amazing grace that we walk in every morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's look at our first point on our sermon outline. Know the gospel. So the gospel of Jesus Christ does basically two things. It tells us who Jesus is, but it also tells us what Jesus did. Those two things come together underneath the banner of Know the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in chapter 1, Paul greatly encouraged us with the good news of the gospel. 
So now in chapter 2, verse 1, he's summarizing everything that had been said. So it's like a transition verse in verse 1. So he's transitioning to look at what it means to uh, understand the gospel as he summarizes this. And he does it through four encouraging things as we look in the first uh, verse of chapter 1, of chapter 2. Now, I want to back up. I want to give you a little uh, seminary teaching here just for a second. Uh, Don't go to sleep on me. So most of the epistles that Paul wrote is like half, the first half is what we call the indicative. In other words, this is how, what is the gospel? You know the gospel, right? So that's the teaching. That's what the gospel is. But the last half of the uh, epistle usually is what is known as the imperative. This is what you're supposed to do. These are the commands. Because this is what's happened to you, then this is what's required of you. So we're looking at this first part then in verse 1 of what the indicative is. And so the first thing that Paul says that we should be encouraged about is that we're in Christ now. This is not a future happening. We're in Christ now, this very moment as we are here gathered together. We are in the overcomer. Overcomer is Christ. So we're in Christ. We're in the overcomer. We're one with him. We're united to him. We're part of his body. Jesus is in heaven now. It's not a future happening. That's where he is. That's where he exists. And therefore, our future is safe and secure. The victory has already been won. Jesus has already overcome. Because he's in heaven at the right hand of the Father now. He's even overcome the last thing, which is death, right? So that's encouraging for us. And so our citizenship is in heaven now because we're in Christ. We're children of God now because he's the son of God and we're in Christ. We're overcomers now. We're in Christ now. Now some of these things are hard for us to really accept because we've got a sin nature. We've got doubts. We've got things that we question. I can't see it. I can't taste it. I can't smell it. I'm believing this by faith. And so... You've come in here after six days of being out in the world where you are tasting, smelling, and seeing you know, the horrible things that are going on in the world. And so now we come in here and we say, wow, you're in Christ. You're an overcomer in Christ. It takes a little while for these things to sink in, to our hearts to marinate in these truths, for our faith to grow. And so uh, Paul wants to encourage us in, in verse, what he wrote in verse 6 in chapter 1, be He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So it was God who brought you to the place of becoming his child. It was God who created a new heart in you. It was God who began this good work and giving us these new hearts. So we've been born again by grace. It's it's nothing we've earned. You know, so a lot of times we're trying to live our lives out like we're still trying to earn something. But we're not. I mean, it's hard because everything we do at work or at play or whatever, we're working hard to accomplish something better. And we get, you know, the uh, thinking going on inside of us thinking, I'm earning this. And so it's hard to receive something by grace. It just goes counterintuitive to everything else that we're experiencing in this life. And so the the good news here then is that what God started, he's going to finish when Christ returns. The work will be complete. And so we're overcomers because we're in Christ. And 1 John 5, 4 says this, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. 
There's no exceptions here for believers. Did you hear that? Let's read it one more time. For everyone, that includes you, everyone born of God, God did that by grace, overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. Are you an overcomer? Are you an overcomer? Yeah. Let's hear it. Are you an overcomer? Yes. Yes. Amen. Glory to God. We appreciate that. So we need to accept that, understand it. We've got to unwrap that gift, right, that that gospel present, and uh, take it and grab it for our own. So the second aspect of the gospel that Paul says we should be encouraged about is that we're loved perfectly by God. It's impossible for God not to love you perfectly. And so Paul wants us comforted. That's the word he uses here. Comforted by this great gospel truth. This is part of the indicative teaching. This is the fact. This is the truth. We need to grab hold of it. It's impossible for God to stop loving you because he loved you before you became his. When you're still part of the world, you're you know, dead in your trespasses and sins. That's when Jesus came so now that you're a child of God, how can a child now do something that would cause God to stop loving you? It's not possible. He's already seen you in your worst case, time when you hated him. So why would we think that God would not love us now? Because of our sin nature. That's why. That's a lie. God's not going to stop loving us. The reason he sent Jesus is because he so loved the world and its fallen condition. 1 John 3.1 says, how great is the love the Father has lavished. I love that word lavished. I, I just kind of just reverberates around in my mind and my heart. Lavished, that means overflowing. You know, the cup is overflowing with love. Lavish, that's the kind of love that he's, he's set upon us, that we should be called children of God. So Paul wants to comfort us with knowing that God loves us with a love that will never let us go. He's never going to change his mind. This is why he wrote in Romans 8, 37 through 39, in all these things, we are more than conquerors, another word for overcomers, through him who loved us, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So things we can see, things in heaven that we can't see, there's nothing that has a power to change God's love for us. That's glorious and it's wonderful. Not conditional. God's love is not conditional like human love is. His love is eternal. God loves his son. We're in Christ. By the nature, we're the body of Christ. And so he loves us. And so when life gets challenging and we become discouraged, which we all find those times, then be comforted by the truth that God loves you unconditionally. No matter what you've done, when you turn to him, you'll experience nothing but his love. That's the face you're going to look in. You're going to look into the face of love. 
1 John 4.15 says, If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. We're overcomers because Jesus loves us. Third aspect of the gospel that Paul says we should be encouraged about is that God the Holy Spirit lives within us and we have fellowship with him. Wow. We have fellowship with God the Holy Spirit. That's beautiful. 1 John 4.13 says, We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. So it's the Holy Spirit then that convicts us of sin and sanctifies us. It's the Holy Spirit that has the power to create Christ-like character in us, to increase our desires to please the Lord and decrease our desires to sin. This is the sanctification process. And so Paul is encouraging us to know that God the Holy Spirit is working in us whether we feel it or not. And we have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. It's remarkable. Think about that for a second. One, another, one more of these things that's unwrapped and, and we see the beauty of what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. And so he's going to finish the work that he started as we saw in verse 6 in chapter 1. When Christ comes back, it's going to be finished. But it's got nothing to do with me or you. It's got everything to do with Jesus and what he's going to do. And the power of the Spirit who's being directed by Jesus to do these things and causing Christ's likeness to grow in us. And it will be finished one day. What a beautiful picture we have. We're overcomers because the Holy Spirit lives within us. And the fourth aspect of the gospel, which I left off of your outline. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, Paul says that we should be encouraged about is that God gives us new affection and sympathy for others. So we're no longer completely absorbed in our own self anymore. All of a sudden we start thinking about other people a little bit. When we're new to Christ, maybe it's a little bit, but over time, hopefully, as you mature and grow, it's like more and more you start loving other people more and more. It increases over time. And so we become more aware of how people are hurting around us. People that might be struggling with, uh, I don't know, a new birth of a baby and needs a meal. Somebody might be sick. Maybe they need a meal brought over. Could be that uh, somebody needs some financial help, so the church helps out. I mean, all these different things that are going on where there is need, then we are growing as a, as a church then and how we can help and encourage those amongst us that are, are a little bit discouraged or need some help in a variety of different ways. So how encouraging it is then that God is graciously working these new desires in us. And so we see once again that he's overcoming our hard hearts. We're overcomers. We're growing in grace. Doesn't feel like it sometimes, but you are. And so now we get to the second point in our outline what it means to live the gospel. This is the imperative. This is the command. Now that you know these things, here's what God's requiring, right? And we find that in verses two through four. So Paul exhorts us by saying, make my joy complete. Now, Paul's kind of a joyful guy most of the time. He does have times when he's, his life is being threatened, you know, little, little things like that. So it's not always happy-go-lucky, but his joy is complete. And joy 
is not like happiness. They can be overlapping for certain at times, but joy is something that's inner, an inner work that's taking place inside of you. So this is why Paul could be joyful in the midst of negative circumstances. He's in jail as he's writing this, right? But he's joyful. How can that happen? Because his circumstances are not dictating his joyfulness. He's still got his eye on the Lord. He's still thinking about the gospel. He's still got purpose and reason for his life. And he's seeing fruit amongst these Philippians. And so happiness has everything to do with your circumstances. Well, if I just have this new car, or if I can get a higher salary, or if I can do this, that, or anything, but it's got to do, this is my happiness. And so these things, again, I, at times they can overlap some, but, but there's, that's the difference. Some, the joy is being generated in a spiritual way, whereas happiness is usually in a more secular way. And so Paul's saying that God saved him, therefore he's in Christ, He's experiencing Christ's love. He has fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And he has an affection and sympathy for others. But, 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 but. <laughs> he says that his joy will not be complete. It won't be complete until the church is united with him in being like-minded. So it's not just like, you know, sometimes in, in America, we get this idea that we're, it's just me and God. I'm a Christian, it's just me and God. You see, we forget about the church. We forget about the corporate aspect of the body of Christ. And so what, what Paul's trying to help us to see is that it's really important that the church is interacting and loving one another and encouraging one another, serving each other. And so this is why he's saying it. he wants them to be like-minded having the same love for one another, being one in spirit and purpose, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, in humility considering others better than yourselves, looking not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others. Now Jesus has loved us like that already. Proven, historical fact. That's already taken place. And so as we tend to think about growing in our corporate understanding, dying to self, thinking about others more than ourselves at times, um, it's a challenge. It's not easy. There's a lot of resistance to that within us. So as we think about loving the way that Paul is talking about, make his joy complete, then are you willing to die to self? Starts with that. You don't just jump in and say, wow, I'm gonna die to self. <laughs> so in other words, how it works out is when the Holy Spirit convicts you of a sin, and usually it's a particular sin, then are you gonna deny that? Or are you gonna take it to him in repentance? You're gonna take it to the Lord in repentance and say, yeah, I really am like that. Or we're going to pretend that it's not happening. See, the only way you grow is when you start repenting. And the Holy Spirit then moves in and starts changing the desires of your heart. Our part is to do the repenting. We can't do any of the changing. Don't have the power to do it. Don't have the knowledge to do it. And so it's a beautiful thing then. Are we willing to repent? Are we? I mean, that's between you and God. 
Are you willing to consider others better than yourself? You're even willing to consider what's going on in other people's lives. You know, there's some families probably in here where there's a lot of selfishness going on, even within the family, the nuclear family, let alone the church family. But that's normal. So don't beat yourself up when you realize that the Holy Spirit's pointing that out to you. Go to the Go to the throne of grace and ask God to forgive you and to change you and to make you more loving and caring, to have an increase in affection and sympathy for others. Are you willing to be the servant of all? We read that this morning. The greatest among you is who? The servant of all. You want to be great? You're the servant of all. This is not easy. You've got to die to self to get there. And so we, first of all, in order to live the gospel, it's the first thing we have to do is to be willing to change. And so we can ask God to help us with that. That's the beauty of it. That's part of the gospel. We don't have to stay the way we are. And, of course, the only way that we can be willing to change is, first of all, to know the gospel to know everything that you've been given, all the beauty, all the gifts, all the different things have been poured out on you, including eternal life. And you need to know how much Jesus loves you. So the more you look at the gospel, the more you see that, the more you see Jesus, the more you're gonna be like him because your eyes are on him. So Paul was saying that our joy will only be complete when we live the gospel. Living the gospel means going into action. Love is a verb. This is not intellectual assent. Oh, I feel bad for Sister Susie because she's, you know, down with uh, COVID or something. Well, we can all know that she's doing that and struggling with that, but who's taking over some soup or, you know, it's action. And prayer can be action, of course. But love demands action, not just intellectual assent. And this is how we grow and mature as we see these things and how do we respond to them in the way that God would ask us to, to love. So God's love resulted in sending Jesus. He moved to action. Jesus' love resulted in seeking and saving the lost, which required him to go into action and go to the cross and die in our place. So it requires a lot of cost on our part, a lot of cost. It's not always easy and it requires death to self and a lot of self forgetfulness, which is not our default mode most of the time. Most of the time our default mode is thinking about me. John thirteen thirty four. Jesus said, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Another way of saying live the gospel, right? By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And there it is, that love is a verb. So Paul exhorts us all to be unified in having Christ's love for one another. You know, for, I'm going to bring Peter into this. We've been talking about Paul. But in 1 Peter 4.10, there's a beautiful verse. It says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. 
So the gift that you've been given, you've unwrapped, and now you see it, you've got this particular gift, then you are to be a steward over that gift. Whether you use it or don't use it, God's not going to force you. This has got to be under the unction, under the Holy Spirit's move in your heart. And so I want to give you an example. So the gifts that I've received, then I'm to use them to serve you. So I don't stand up here this morning preaching to me, although sometimes it works out that way. But uh, I'm using my gift this morning to serve you. Now, everybody in here, when they become a Christian, has received all these beautiful different gifts. Everybody's uniquely different. Some gifts are overlapping. But the way I want you to think about it, so if my gift, let's just say the teaching gift, is in my hand like that, the way God has set up the body of Christ is that my elbow is locked. I can't feed myself. So I'm going around, I'm going around here, here, you know, I want to feed you this morning. I want to feed you this morning. Well, guess what you're doing for me? Same thing. And so the whole body gets built up when everybody's going around offering their gift. We can't feed ourselves. We're dependent on one another. We're not independent. We're interdependent. And that's the way that God has built things up. This is the way he's designed it. So it's, I, you know, it's really important that I get fed by you. I'm just fulfilling the role God's given me. And so God wants you to fulfill your role and be a good steward over the gifts that he's given you, whatever they happen to be. And that's between you and him. This is where you think about volunteering, you th- see a need, you, you know, just naturally understand who you are more and more over time and use that gift so that others might be built up. So who did you love this week? Who did you choose not to love? Well, I just don't get along with that person. It's not qualified. Who did you love? Where does God want you to use your gifts? And so these, these are hard things at times, but you know, as you begin to see this, then ask God to help you with it. Help me to love my brothers and sisters at Holy Cross. Help me to build them up. Help me to see their needs. Help me to pray for them. Help me to send them an email, an encouragement, maybe they're down about something. So this is how we live out the gospel. And so what this does, though, it's very interesting. It leads to worship. This is all funneling into the idea of worship. So in Romans, the first 11 chapters, you have the most detailed expression of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the indicative. Guess what happens in chapter 12? There's this word called therefore. So he's saying everything has happened in the first 11 chapters of Romans. Now, therefore, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. I bet you're wondering what Romans 12 says, right? Of course. Thank you for asking. Okay, I'm going to tell you. Okay, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. 
You're offering at the altar. You're saying, here I am. Here I am. All of me. Every bit of me. Mind, will, emotions, feelings, whatever. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's your spiritual worship. This is what we're talking about, living out the gospel. Because of all that God's done for us, this is what we're going to do for him. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Be more and more like Christ by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Wow. So why do you think Paul feels the need to say all these things to us? It's because we're all too selfish. We think about ourselves far too much. We're too busy seeking our happiness and our glory, not God's. We don't really want to be inconvenienced. You know, it just doesn't fit in with my plan. You know, I've got all these things set up, and so, you know, I don't have time to go over and worry about these additional things. So Paul's pointing us to the power of the gospel because we're incapable of loving the way that Jesus loves in our own strength. So that's the beauty of it. So as we admit our weakness, as we admit our inabilities, then, then he's the one that steps in and gives us the grace to do it. Isn't that beautiful? We don't stay the way we are. We continue to grow and increase in our ability to love other people. And so, again, we need to repent where we're convicted of sin. And then the power of the Holy Spirit kicks in, big time. He changes our hearts. We see this in Romans 1, 16 and 17. The gospel is the power of God. It's the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. And so we have the power of God working in us. Do you believe that this morning? Yeah, you are overcomers. You're overcomers, you are. Now, if you are here this morning and you're not a Christian, I hope that you've heard about this great love that God has for us, that you've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And see how much, hopefully, he loves you and wants to bless you and, and give you that gospel of Jesus Christ that you can unwrap and, and receive all these gifts and things that he's poured out upon his children. He loves you so much that Christ went to the cross and he died in your place and suffered for the sins that you've committed so that you never will have to. And if you're interested in hearing about more about what it means to be a Christian, if you feel like the Spirit's kind of nudging you this morning, then please see me or someone after church and, and ask, how do, how do I become a Christian? We'd love, love to talk to you about that. So the bottom line is we're all in a work in progress, every one of us. And so may the Lord be gracious with us as we look to him to conform all of our hearts and minds to be like Jesus. And he's working at that. He's doing that. May we know the gospel more and live the gospel more by the grace of God. And may our joy increase as we do, and it will. That's the promise. We are overcomers by the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, we 
thank you that you have poured out your love upon us, that you've sent your son, that you've given us this gospel, that uh, we might know it and live it. And so we pray for the power of your spirit to be working in us even now, that we might grow in these things, that we won't feel shamed or condemned, but that we'll taste the grace, Lord, that's that grace of the covenant of grace that's ours in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.